Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to the Neil Before Pod interview segment. I'm your host Craig and I recently had the chance to talk to Donald Heng, an actor who has appeared in The Flash, Virgin River, The Art of Racing in the Rain, The Sinner and most recently Two Sentence Horror Stories, among many others. We discuss getting into character, working with prosthetics and specialising in flashback characters. Sit back, relax and enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined on Neil Before Pod with Donald Heng. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. We'll just start with the beginning, really. How did you get into the crazy world of acting and what led you to where you are now? I did it throughout high school. I think I just joined my drama class. Funny little story. I had the same acting teacher as Ryan Reynolds did. Nice. It's funny. I didn't really know this and he didn't even share the story about it. But last year I saw an interview that Ryan Reynolds did and he thanked my teacher who was in high school, who got me into acting. So I thought that was really cool. I actually <laughs> tracked him down and then invited him over for dinner because he's retired. And then after dinner, I sat him down and recorded him and showed him the clip of Ryan Reynolds thanking him. He's like, what? I had no idea I had an impact on him. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. But anyways, <laughs> did drama class throughout high school. And it was just something I really liked doing. I put it on the back burner for three years after I graduated from high school because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get into it. So I just went to university and then halfway through almost completing my degree, I decided I had to take a stab at it somehow. So I started researching how to get into the industry and it just eventually led me into it. Cool. So just uh, you wanted to do it and then you eventually got there sort of journey. Yeah. You appear in a lot of TV shows, a lot of things I've watched as well. Do you have any preference as to what you like to work on or is it just wherever the work is, you like to just have a go at everything? Certainly, I think I'm not in a position where I really turn down work, but at the same time, I obviously do have my preferences and I do have the things that I'm more passionate about. TV shows and movies, I don't think that one is better than the other or anything, but quality TV is separated from TV that's not as high quality, but it's just such a competitive market these days with so many streaming networks. And there's more TV shows being produced than ever. And I think that we're getting more and more quality TV shows. And that's really what just what matters to me in terms of what I get to work on and the things I enjoy to do. So what kind of characters do you like playing? What have been some of your personal favorites of the many, many ones that you've played? I have really started to play, I guess, a, a slew of characters. I guess they're really two-faced, not in the sense that they're bad people, but they have this dynamic of either a bad person who is trying to do a good thing or a good guy who accidentally did a bad thing and he's like kind of coping with his guilt. Those are the characters I actually do strive. And the ones I get excited about, I've played quite a fair few of them as well. And I think that's what I gravitate towards. One of the jobs that you had was on Supernatural, which is a show that I absolutely loved. I was obsessed with it for the 15 years it was on the air. I've yeah. spoken to a lot of people that have appeared in various roles on Supernatural and it seems that it's a bit of a rite of passage in Canada, or it was. Was that of how yeah. you got it towards it. Oh yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Right of passage. I think every Vancouver actor that I know has probably been on that show. They employ so many different actors. And like you said, they went on for 15 seasons. So yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like being on the, the set of that? I've heard many stories about how Jared and Jensen are really welcoming to everyone that they speak to. Did you interact with them much? Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're very welcoming and they also like to joke around a lot. I was in the 12th season, I want to say. So they obviously had been there for a long time already, but it was nonstop. A lot of it, I, I didn't even know whether they were trying to fit into the show or it was just personal jokes, but they know each other so well. And I think that's what makes the show so successful. 
is that they can banter off of each other. Camera's rolling, camera's not rolling. They're doing that the entire time. I don't know if you saw my episode, but the one where uh, I guess they appear as two dead bodies in a morgue at one point. And I'm like the coroner, I guess. I remember Jared at one take, he took this, must have been like banana or something. And he's a dead body. And so he sticks in his pants and it's like erect. And he looks over at <laughs> Jensen, either before rolling, I think just before they rolled the camera and say, hey, hey, Jensen, look. Look, you just sitting there with a dead body with a wrecked phallic banana. You just have to pretend it's not happening. Just pretend it didn't happen and get on with it. Cool. I have seen that episode. I've seen every episode. I was, like I say, I was quite obsessed with it while it was on. I never missed it. I thought it was yeah, nice, great show. I will miss it. I would have watched another 15 seasons. I don't know how the public would have reacted to another 15, but I would have watched another. He's developing a prequel, isn't he? Or is that not going through? Do you know? I, I don't know if it's gone any further forward than the script stage, but they're definitely doing a script for a pilot yeah. for a prequel. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. That'll be interesting. Another supernatural connected show for Vancouver actors to just appear on, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and our big mainstay in Vancouver is the Arrowverse. You've appeared on two shows, Arrow and The Flash. So mm-hmm. who's working on those shows? Like on The Flash, you had a bigger role. You were a billionaire who was killed by one of his aggrieved former partners. Yeah, I don't actually end up getting killed. He tries to kill me. He wanted to kill you, yeah. Doesn't yeah, he much. wanted to kill me. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a fun one. This is one where I was driving a Tesla and then the villain has the ability to control mechanical parts. And so he manipulates the car so that I'm speeding down a runway and I'm just going to hit a barrier and hopefully for him die. But the Flash comes out with a wrench and he dissembles the entire car. How they shot that was just pulling me actually with a go-kart kind of thing that they hooked up. And they put a bunch of fireworks sparks under me and they lit it and they just pulled me like a big, what do you call that? The winding up things was speeding down. So that was fun. It felt like a roller coaster, honestly. So it was a proper stunt then? I don't think it get credited as a stunt, but yeah, it felt like it almost, I was, I was scared. Yeah, it went way faster than I thought it would. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Arrowverse shows as well. Arrow was mm. my favorite show when it was on. I imagine being around Grant Gustin and stuff must have been great fun yeah he's very passionate about the show i got the sense that he's non-stop giving a lot of ideas for how the show in his eyes could be better and he's very committed you know it's not just the job to him you know sometimes you work with actors who have been in shows for a long time and they're just there for the paycheck kind of thing yeah he certainly is very invested in it eight years that's quite a shift for mm-hmm. any show mm-hmm. the hundred was another one it's interesting that one because you played the host of a different character so you were essentially a reincarnation in a way you had someone else's brain in mm-hmm. the original body although it was earlier in the timeline for that character but what went into getting into that mindset of embodying sort of someone else because it was an established character and then it was like a flashback episode i think you appeared in effect right. the audition process they're very secretive about this stuff so when you get sides like this you know audition scripts for this they black out nearly everything aside from the words you're saying and okay. so when you audition for it you don't really know what to put into it. Like, I certainly had no idea that was this earlier rendition of this character. I can't even tell you exactly how I remember the audition, but eventually I got it. And then I can't even remember if they sent me the full script. They were just secretive about it. So there was limitations to how much I could prepare. But I do remember whenever it was, maybe it was on set, maybe it was a couple of days before where I realized how significant this character was. And I had such a small window of time to really impart a lot of emotion into it because it's really about these two lovers who have lived so many multiple lifetimes together. And yeah, to try and put all that history into one scene was something that I was kind of inexperienced at doing at the time. And 
I wouldn't say I did a bad job, but it was definitely a different experience for me to have, especially getting the information so late. I don't know if that answered your question. It must be interesting to, or it must be difficult to get a hold of material and then have to adapt on the fly in that way when you eventually learn who you're actually playing. Did you get any chance to speak to the, it was a flashback, but the original actor, in effect, the actor who was playing him most of the time before you were able to perform at all? No. The only person who I spoke to about it was the director. And I think she was the one who told me, we really want this scene to be really tender and really emotional because it really reflects on the history of their characters and how they lived so many lifetimes together and they know each other so well. And they're intimate, but they're not afraid to be honest with each other. It was a lot of information taken for one day just to do that one scene. So that was a very unique experience. I haven't had anything like that before. It was a good episode, that one. I love The 100 as well. I think that was a... Mm really off-brand show in a way for the CW. I think the way they approached science fiction was very sort of visceral. It was a lot more brutal than a lot of CW shows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. Staying on the CW, the Two Sentence Horror Stories, which has just aired, I believe. Last night, yeah. I've not actually heard of this before, but I read the blurb of the episode you're in and it just sounded nuts. What was that like? must have been quite difficult. must have been quite a blast as well, just to get into that bizarreness. Two Sentence Horror Stories is a anthological series. The way I like to describe it is it's like goosebumps for adults. Each half hour episode is a new story with a new cast and it always centers around like the mysterious or paranormal. It's a creepy show. And then our episode is called Plant Life. And it's about uh, a technologically addicted man who is just very obsessed with his work, played by me. His name is Christian. And his boyfriend, Ben, gifts him this mysterious plant for their anniversary and tries to get him away from work and into nature. And he kind of rejects this notion and the plant kind of goes after him and it kind of transforms him. And yeah, it just aired last night. I saw it for the first time last night. And it was something that I was almost afraid of shooting because, again, when I got the script, I was in the entire episode, but I had like 20-something lines. And a lot of it was just me interacting with the plant, me interacting with my work and getting interrupted by plants. And like I said, he's addicted to technology. So he's got this Alexa-type thing hooked up where it, it reminds him to drink water. It operates his vacuum. It makes his coffee for him. It does everything for him. And so a lot of it involved me just working by myself. That was something I'd never done before. And so I was worried. When we shot it, it was good. I, a lot of the worries that I had didn't end up being a problem. And yeah, I watched it for the first time yesterday and it was a fun watch. It definitely was really creepy. I thought it was shot really nice. You should give it a go. Track it down and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I will because it just sounded interesting. I do like anthology type storytelling. I love the Twilight Zone and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. Black Mirror. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So it's like it's a bit of a weird techno thriller in a way, that episode. So that's right on my street for sure. Yeah, it is really short, though. And honestly, though, it, it's felt really short. And then I thought back, you know, growing up watching TV like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I guess if you're in that mindset, it satisfies you. The little short half an hour episode. But I think I get so involved. Yeah, it felt short for me. It felt really short because half an hour episode with the commercials is like 22 minutes or something. Especially when you must have filmed it over a period of several days that kind of thing Mm -hmm. probably feels like it should be a lot longer when it comes out in the wash at the end yeah so much work goes into these things the thing with that show is i had to wear these prosthetics at one point as i kind of transform into this plant thing and i was talking to the vfx person who built this prop and he had built it over a period of like six weeks and took like four hours to apply on me and then we shot for like eight hours with that suit on and i'm like wow this guy literally worked for the last six to eight weeks for this eight hours on camera and at the end, he just burns it pretty much. He just gets rid of it. It's kind of crazy. So much work goes behind the camera that people just don't realize. And who was it for you getting prosthetics put on? 
I know a lot of actors can struggle with that because of the time it takes and you feel sort of locked in. I don't know how extensive the prosthetics were, but spoken to people on Star Trek and things that just talk about you're in a rubber casket for like 16 hours or whatever. Yeah, it's not comfortable. The first time I did it, I thought it was fun. I had two days where I had to put on these prosthetics and the first day I thought was fun because I was like, man, this is cool. But they glued like half my body and it'd be like two weeks later and I'd be stuck to my bed. You couldn't remove this glue unless you took rubbing alcohol and put it all over your body. So honestly, I'd be in bed and getting up to go to the bathroom and it'd be like... <laughs> you know, against a bed sheet. The second time I got the prosthetics on, each time I said it takes like three to four hours. But I just kept thinking to myself, gosh, so many people have to sit in this chair for so much longer. Stories of like Mystique in the X-Men or something. Yeah. It's something like 10 hours of makeup. I can't imagine that. Every day for months or weeks or yeah. however long. So what they say is call time is nine o'clock for them. They arrive at midnight and they try and sleep while the makeup artist put this whole thing on. And then whatever sleep you get that's what you get for the next like 12 15 hours of shooting that's miserable <laughs> could you imagine doing that yeah that's crazy what did you do past the time while you were getting made up did you just just chat to the makeup artists yeah again mine wasn't that long it was three and a half four hours kind of thing so i felt like it wasn't that bad four hours still a long time though especially if you have nothing to do yeah other than sit there the magic of filmmaking i suppose the magic of turning people into monsters. The Sinner is another one that caught my eye. Great cast on that show. That must have been a great experience working on that. Who did you work with mostly? Wow, I'm blanking on her name. She plays Meg Muldoon, the patriarch. Gosh, she was like Kate Winslet's mom in Titanic. Isn't it where I know her from? And then there's another oh, yes, gentleman yeah. named Neil Huff, who's a great actor who's been on a lot of Broadway shows and a lot of other huge movies. He's a great character actor. And Michael Mosley, who's been on The Ozark and Alice Kremelberg, who plays the main character. Have you watched any of the show before? No, I've never actually seen it. It's kind of one of those that's on the list. And I'm sure you know yeah. yourself that we all have long lists of content that we want to watch, but yeah. never have the time. So, so synopsis of the show, Bill Pullman is this police detective and there's four seasons of the show. And again, it's kind of like an anthological show, except that he's recurring in each season. But in each season, there's a new story, a new murder happens, a new death happens as he investigates. So I'm in the fourth season, and the fourth season starts out with him having been retired after a traumatic experience in his last season. On the first day, he goes on vacation with his wife or girlfriend, and then he go takes an evening stroll, and he sees this girl played by Alice Kremelberg, and she jumps off a cliff. And he's obviously shocked. He runs there to try and see if he can see her, and she's not there. He calls in the police. And as they try and investigate, whether he saw what he saw or he was just taking the improper medication and was hallucinating or not, they're trying to piece together if this is possible. And in fact, this girl goes missing, but they find her after a few days. And now the question becomes, why did she jump? I can't really introduce my character without ruining it. Should I just go ahead and ruin it? I feel like... Yeah, if you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a minute or so. I'll do it. Yeah, fair. So throughout the whole season, you see this history of this Chinese family who was hired by the family of the girl who jumped and they worked for them for many years, but about two years ago or something, the Chinese family suddenly got really rich. So while he's piecing all of this together, it finally gets revealed in the season finale that I used to be a second son of the Chinese family, but I died two years ago at the same time that this family got really rich. And as the flashbacks begin to show later, the lady who jumped, she was the one who pulled the trigger. And she did it accidentally. I was being accused of stealing from them. And so they were threatening me. And eventually I kind of beat the crap out of her father. And in a whim, she pulls out a gun. She shoots me. But she is so guilt-ridden by that 
she wants to go to police and she wants to confess, but her parents don't let her. Her whole family doesn't let her. So she feels controlled by this family. And instead, they just bribe off my family, pay them off with a fishing license. And she struggles with this guilt for the next two years and dabbles in drugs and whatnot. And it's haunted by my memory to the point where she pushes herself off the edge is how this season really wraps up. So it's another sort of flashback role then. That's right, yeah. Sounds pretty intense. Must have been really interesting getting into that sort of darker side of humanity in a way with all that going on, just to be around that and play around that. Yeah, see, personally, I kind of like those as opposed to the light and bright ones. I feel like it mirrors life more properly. And also I got into acting throughout high school, but I think the reason why I really fell in love with it at one point was just realizing that with acting, you can really pull all these negative experiences from your real life and then put it into something. And so whenever something terrible happens to me, the worst thing can happen to me. And yeah, I'd be devastated. And I wish that that thing didn't happen. But knowing that it did happen, I'd have this little thought in my brain that thinks, okay, well, at least I can use this somewhere sometime. And that's, I think, the beauty of acting for me. So I do really gravitate towards tonally darker shows. And the show definitely was that. But again, to speak to the cast, the off-camera, everyone was so great. I think in particular, because everybody's character had such a connection with my character, because my character is only shown in flashbacks. But every single decision that they make, most of this cast members are related to my character. So they sort of built up what they thought I would be or what I, I am in their minds. And so when I showed them and said, everyone was so excited to meet me. They're just like, I really just want to see how you match up to how I thought you were. They each don't really think the same things about me, but they were also excited to meet me. So that was a really cool experience. That speaks to a lot of people maybe seem in your memory or before you meet them, you build up an image of them. Yeah. That'd be a big part of probably what the audience was doing, hearing about that character throughout the arc as well. Uh-huh. It's pretty cool. A film that you were in that I really, really enjoyed. The Art of Racing in the Rain. I've seen it twice now, actually. Really enjoyed it. Kevin Costner voicing the dog and things like that. It was like being on that film. Did you interact with the dog much and whatever else? I had no interaction with the dog at all. Really, the only person I had interaction was with Milo, which was cool. He's every bit the person you think he is. Depends what show you've watched of his. I've seen him in quite a few things. Heroes, Rocky, etc. I've seen him a bunch of things. Right. I guess lately he's been known for This Is Us. And he's such a wholesome father and father figure and husband in that show. And that's who I really saw. He's the nicest guy. But when I auditioned for that show, I auditioned for it in Vancouver. And then I went down to LA. No, hang on. What was this? I was down in LA. And then they asked me to send a tape. So I sent a tape to Vancouver. And they wanted to see me in person. So I had to fly back just to see them in person. And when I flew back to LA, I didn't get the call until for another six weeks, I got a job. And the night I get a job, that week, my wife visited me in LA and we went out for dinner at this restaurant called The Ivy and I saw Kevin Costner there. So I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I didn't like walk up to him or anything, but in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm going to be in the same movie as you because I had read that he was going to voice the dog already. So that's a funny little serendipitous story. I imagine there's always that temptation when you see famous people or really famous actors to approach them and then I suppose there'll be that distance. It's like, no, I'm kind of working with them or working near them so I shouldn't bother them. Yeah, I had that with Milo. I acted like everything was chill, but at the very end of our filming, I asked him for the picture. I was like, man, I'm such a big fan of you. And also my wife, I didn't say this, but my wife had like such a big crush on him. <laughs> my girl cousins had a crush on him and stuff. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you have to do it, right? I mean, they're not going to begrudge mm. a picture. That's something that you have to do. Yeah. It's not as if you were asking Bill Pullman to do his Independence Day speech. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny analogy. I imagine someone's done that. He'd probably get sick of hearing that. Yeah. In <laughs> <laughs> another prominent show, you had a large role on Virgin River, which is 
something I've weirdly seen a couple episodes of, but I've not seen all of it. So just a bit of what that was like just being there. The premise is quite interesting. Yeah. I was there for four episodes, but the first three episodes, they didn't want to include, again, this is spoiler alert, but I mean, they're going to season four and we're talking season two now. So if you if you don't know what happened to you, obviously you don't care enough what to join all. So I'm just <laughs> going to ruin it for you. Yeah, go for it. They really want to shy away from the fact of having the audience clue into anything I'm doing. You haven't seen the show, so I'll just tell you. In the fourth episode, I'm in, you find out that I'm kind of a bad guy. And I had been planted there by the bar's rival. So this Jack, he owns this bar and it's like a love story with him and this new girl in town. But I got hired as a worker there. And so for the first three episodes, I'm just like this nice worker who gets along and is a hard worker. And then the fourth episode, there's this bout of food poisoning that goes on throughout the whole restaurant. But then at the end of the episode, you realize that I did it. (laughs) That I've been lacing all these things by the show's villain. And then I just book it and I leave. Some people knew who I was and some people didn't. But the first interaction I had was I showed up and the girl who plays Alex, wait, her real name is Alex, Alex Breckenridge. She just like, you evil person. That was the first thing, interaction I got or something like that. She said, you saboteur or something like that. The moment I showed up and said, so that was my first reaction with anyone on the show. <laughs> just fingered immediately, just outed for everybody to see. Yeah. Really? But this was fairly natural uh, show for me beyond seeing as I've been a bartender for many, many, many years, all my years of training. Did you find that filming it was a different experience to actually doing it? Was there one of those, you do this in real life, but to make it look good on film, it's different. You have to do it differently. Oh, for sure. Because they didn't actually pour. The pop gun doesn't actually have pop. The ice buckets aren't actually ice. The beers don't pour beer, you know? So you have to <laughs> fake it. In fact, I'd say it's harder than if you hadn't bartended. You can just pretend. But when you're doing this every single day and it's in your bones, you're like, what's this? I don't know how to make this look natural when it's so unrealistic. I guess they add in the sound effect that you have to imagine is this happening. Absolutely, yeah. Behind the camera stuff, cool. It's almost like when you're a kid and you get those kitchen play sets and you have to pretend that you're, or you don't have to, but you are pretending you're making food. And then it's like, you have to do it as an adult and you lose that. Yeah. <laughs> Lack of self-awareness, I suppose. I think that's probably the biggest thing, I guess. Mm. Yeah. What's next for you? What are your next big projects? If there's things that you can talk about, of course, I wouldn't ask you to reveal any big secret roles that you may have coming up that you can't talk about. Yeah, so I have uh, two movies coming out later this year. I don't really know the dates. I've been told that they're in the second quarter of this year. So I'm imagining that it's April, May, June kind of thing. So the first movie is a movie called Sight. And it is a biographical movie about this doctor named Dr. Ming Wang. And he's probably the most famous eye surgeon in the world. He's performed thousands, tens of thousands of surgeries, probably helping people restore their sight, including Dolly Parton. And this story is based on his childhood and also during a period in his life when he had already immigrated to America, where he was trying to develop new, less invasive ways to help people restore their sight. And he's struggling, in the story anyway, he's struggling with the memories of how he grew up in 1960s, 1970s China, a very uncertain period in his life. And he comes to terms throughout the movie about the notion that the present is only made possible by the past. The movie really flashes back a lot between modern day and 1960s, 1970s. And I play his father in the flashbacks. I don't know, with all these flashback characters, right? (laughs) I'm just saying it now. I'm like, that's true. They like to cast you as someone that was around, but isn't anymore. (laughs) Well, in this one, he is around, but he's played by an older actor. He's in his 70s, 80s or whatever. But yeah, the movie flashes back and forth. Greg Kinnear's 
plays his best friend, which I thought was pretty cool. Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet him because we played in different timelines. But yeah, I think that's all I can tell you about the movie. And it should be coming out second quarter of this year. And the second movie I did was a smaller role, but it was also very exciting. It was a movie called American Dreamer, and that stars Peter Dinklage, Matt Dillon, Danny Glover, Shirley Lee McLean. I can't tell you too much about this one because it would ruin things. But I just I play a doctor and all my scenes were with Peter Dinklage, which was the highlight oh, really? of the year, if not the career. Yeah, it was great. I just finished watching Game of Thrones and he's my favorite character, probably everyone's <laughs> favorite character. And yeah, it was definitely a bit of a starstruck moment getting to meet him and work with him and stuff. It's great. Yeah. And on the one where you are the younger version of a, another character, did you compare notes with your older self? Did you meet your older self? Yeah, I didn't get to meet him. I tried to. Like, I had asked the director. And I said, I kind of want to develop some sort of mannerism that kind of transcend through our timelines. But because of COVID being at its height, they didn't want unnecessary interactions with actors and stuff. And I, I had suggested the idea of me being on set. And so I can just watch him act and kind of work in some of those mannerisms naturally. But that wasn't allowed. But I got his phone number and we chatted. And we chatted quite lightly. Certain mannerisms he might have, whether when he's talking, he would rub his hands together or just place them at his feet or certain things. So we try to incorporate little things like that to kind of transcend the timelines. And again, I don't know if they're going to really highlight that when the editing room, because I don't think they know what we were doing. But I hope some form of it comes out in the final product because some effort was put into it. I hope <laughs> if no one else knows this is that I will be like, yeah, that worked out he's sitting like this and he continues to sit like this three years later <laughs> just enough to draw that link between the two yeah. between the two timelines just to yeah this yeah. is the same guy because he still does this years later yeah that kind of stuff i just think it's cool a little easter egg if not anything else yeah for sure well a really lame easter egg to be honest i say easter egg but easter eggs are cool <laughs> yeah it's an interesting easter egg it's one thing to watch out for when you know it exists so when i see the film yeah. i'll be like oh yeah there we go those two things are happening what was pandemic filming like for you i've spoken to a number of actors that had different experiences you did a couple of projects during it so was there major differences between the setup and what was expected and all that stuff yes i mean obviously with the masks that's 100 the covid protocols of testing and everything like that. I do remember the first project I worked on post or during the pandemic, and it was a Hallmark movie, Beverly Hills Wedding. It was a wedding movie, and I play like the wedding assistant person. And they had a cake testing scene, but obviously they couldn't take bites of the same thing because it was cross contaminated. It was weird to figure out. They were like, okay, you're actor one, two, three, four, you're going to take the bite out of this corner only ever. And this one, they had to cut so many times. This was in like June of 2020. So this is really just once everything opened up. So they yeah. were being so careful. And I think that, yeah, it did lead to it being less efficiently shot. But it is what it is. And things are not that different anymore. You just make sure you mask up each time that you're not talking. You got to put on your mask. The thing that has changed for us actors a lot is auditioning. We barely ever see anyone anymore. There's pros and cons to it. Some people like doing this in the comfort of their own homes. You set up your own taping room and you tape it yourself. And also you can do it multiple times. You can rewatch it and you can kind of direct yourself into filming it exactly how you want it. The downside of that is you don't know what the casting director wants. You don't know what they're looking for. They can't just be in the room and say, hey, do this bit differently. I want this. It's kind of like you just send it in. They look at it. They don't have enough time to message you back and say, hey, do this another time. It's just whoever got it right or passing forward. And then from that group, someone's going to get chosen. So there's a lot of pros and cons. I do see myself auditioning for a lot of things. I haven't been in the past. And then what that tells me is that they're casting a wider net. They can afford that because in the past, they rent a room and they're bringing in 10 people that they know, five people they don't know, and that's it. 
And unless they don't find anyone there, they're going to go wider and wider. But now it's like, everything's online. I'll just cast a net out from Vancouver to Toronto and just see what comes in. Because all I have to do is just watch the videos, right? I no longer have to book timing to meet the actors and then tape them myself and edit them and then send them out. They're all just here. So that's really changed for us. Imagine with the remote taping, there's a risk of getting in your own head about it. If you're filming it multiple times, you want it to be perfect or whatever. Whereas if you just go in, it's sort of a one and done performance in front of a casting director. It's just, I've done it now. That's it. That's it done. I feel like you've been in this world a bit. You you have so many insightful things that you say that my only an actor would say that. No, I'm serious. It's totally true. There is that line because I think I existed in that for about a year. I get obsessive about my tapes and I'd watch it so many times and then go home and then tape it again the next day. And some tapes I would do like 25 times. And I don't know if that's beneficial sometimes. I really don't. There's something about not knowing and not planning every single little thing. There's little mistakes in there that are the beauty of it. So. It's not like I just prepare and then do one and then done. I still watch my tapes, but a lot of times I find myself learning to let go of it more freely. Yeah, I'm just very clued up on the concept of wanting to do something perfectly and spending probably too much time on it and ruining it in the process by trying yeah, to make it for perfect. Sure. Sometimes good enough is good enough. You just have to be willing to, this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. I'm just going to let it go and then leave it for here and then see how it goes yeah. but it's interesting that it's changed in that way and heard from sets and things the way that they handle food and stuff like that when actors talked about the whole you no longer stick your hand in a bowl of nuts that a million people have touched and we probably should never have been doing that that kind of stuff well see you're right that's another thing that's changed i forgot about mentioning that movie sets and tv sets have the best food it's crazy the amount of food that this one food truck can pump out is insane. The spread is usually insane for dinner and lunches and stuff. It's like a full-on buffet. There's like four meat entrees and like a couple pasta dishes, tons of dessert, tons of salad. And like, how do you guys all produce that in one day in one food truck? Sadly, <laughs> is that's not the case anymore. Now you have to go up the window and you just kind of tell them what you want. They kind of like platter it for you. The food's still good. It's just that the variety has gone way down and you can't serve yourself any longer. That's a huge change too. Yeah. No more grazing. No more just between shots, just going crazy. Exactly. That too. So what I was saying was like a full meal situation. And then throughout the whole day, they have this crafty station where they have chips and sandwiches and cookies and candy and whatnot. So that used to be a free-for-all too. You just go and you just grab what you want. Now you got to stand in line and then just tell them what you want. And obviously you get less because you want to seem like pig. You just want everything. <laughs> Change days. I don't know. Maybe it'll go mm. back to something resembling normality. Or maybe there will be more hygienic learns from this thing who knows i mean it's just it's up in the air so. yeah who knows I, I don't know for me i feel like some things in this pandemic are not changing for me myself personally i usually get colds like once every two months but i haven't had that in over two years and that's only because i'm wearing a mask all the time right so that has to be it i haven't felt anything like that in two years Apart from when I got my vaccine, my second vaccine, I felt a little bit sick, but I haven't been sick in two years. And that's kind of crazy because I think about it and I used to get colds and down with the weather like every two months at least. So I think some things are, you know, I think masks are probably embedded in our society for who knows how long, but at least just generation, I would say. Yeah, for a very long time. It's a common thing in the East, isn't it? Where masks were just part of everyday life for a long mm -hmm. time. And now that culture has been forced on us because of what we've been through and it's interesting you talk about the cold things. I didn't have a cold at all during 2020 and most of 2021, but in yeah, November, I got you. <laughs> when I was out and about, well, it was starting to hit winter. I got a cold and it just floored me completely. Like it was yeah. one of the worst colds I'd ever had, but it's because my immune system hadn't been used to 
fighting them for a yeah. year and a half. So it was just brutal. And I'm asthmatic as well, but it only kind of kicks in when I catch a cold. So I only mm-hmm. got over the cough a couple of weeks ago because it just lingers for so long. But yeah, it is interesting how I wasn't sick for a year and a half at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, interesting insight on the whole food situation. That's one thing I've wanted to do is go on a film set and see what the, the food situation is. <laughs> it won't happen in the way that I want it to now. I very much do. Yeah. That's a shame. But never mind. Final question is the one I always ask everybody who comes on because we're a nerdy focused podcast. We do a lot of superhero stuff, review the flash and stuff, which you've been on. So what would be your ideal superpower if you could have anyone and why? The thing that comes to me first is probably flying or transportation, something in that I'm just getting somewhere quick. The thing about flying is like, yeah, that'd be fun. But in my mind, I get really realistic when I think about these things. So I don't think about just the pros. I think about the cons. I've been asked this question many times. Obviously, everyone has. But when you fly, it's probably pretty darn cold. So I'm like, man, if I put on a jacket and all this stuff, like it's probably still would be too cold and that wouldn't be realistic. So let's go with teleportation or something. Well, you'd get there instantly. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good. But I suppose if you had the ability to fly, you might have the ability to withstand cold temperatures at the same time it might come with it. Oh, you think so? Okay. I don't it think might do. I don't know. It, it depends on the rules, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We discussed heroes for Nathan Petrelli. When he flew, he was never cold. Who's Nathan Petrelli? He was Milo's older brother in the show. Oh, really? That was the character's name. Heroes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about superpowers. I would have super speed. Why super speed? Because I want to get places quickly, but I still want to see things. So I would run past things and then still see them. (laughs) So you want to be the Flash. (laughs) Well, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe not without the responsibility. I'd do it for stupid things. So I could be somewhere two seconds after the... Probably back. No, I wouldn't even do that. I would just, <laughs> I need to be somewhere in two minutes and then I can just be there in two minutes. Mm-hmm. So much time, so much extra time. Or I could write reviews quicker because my brain works quicker and stuff. So. <laughs> See, the reason why I don't choose speed or flying is because my thought right now is like, hey, I, I could just appear in the UK instantly. If I flew, that's eight, nine hours of flying in the cold. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> Depends how fast you are, I suppose, when you fly. Yeah, depends how fast you are. But yeah, it would, it would take time. <laughs> Teleportation would be good. That would be a good one. It would save a lot of time. It would yeah. cut down on a lot of transport bills. Mm-hmm. Good answer. I like that. It's, it's a good one. Thanks very much for appearing on the podcast and talking about your career, the varied roles you've done. I will definitely check out Two Sentence Horror Stories and I will make a point of having a look at that. It does sound really interesting. It's not one I'd heard of before I was sent the blurb for this interview. Somehow one CW thing slipped through my grasp. I usually keep up with a lot of the stuff they produce. I imagine you do as well because you end up appearing on a lot of them. Yeah. They seem to like to recycle their actors when they work with them on that network, Mm -hmm. which is great if they keep people in mind and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with the two films that are out this year. I will keep an eye out for them as well. I'll watch out for your mannerisms. The translating across the years between actors. I will definitely look yeah. out for that. All the best for the future. I really do hope that everything's successful for you. And it's been absolutely great talking to you. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. That was my discussion with Donald Heng. All the best to him in the future. If you like what you heard, then hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple users, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. If you want to discuss what you heard here or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod.